Hi, welcome to Overlanding from Home. My name is Anton. I'm an avid overlander, lover of nature, and humanitarian by heart. The past while, I've always been interested in the outdoors, and I want to hear about other people's experiences and their rigs. Yes, the big rigs, the small rigs, everything they've done to design them and how they plan it. I hope you enjoy listening. Let's find out who today's guest is. Bonjour, monsieur. Comment ça va? Oh, no, no, don't, don't go there. All I've got after that is uh, mon petit facochère. Je t'aime mon petit facochère. I'm pretty sure I'll pass. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I, I love you, my little warthog. <laughs> well, blessings to you too, good lad. Yes, yes. Are you, uh, did you manage to find a corner, a quiet corner of the house amongst the chaos? Um, we'll see how quiet it is once the toddlers aim for it with intent. Ah, you know, when they get tunnel vision, there's no end. Uh, I, I know. I've been trying to host webinars and you know, there, there's my realization through this is everybody's saying, oh, it's great. We get to work from home and just watch Netflix. How easy is that? So Good luck actually, with that. No, I have a full-time job. I'm trying to you know, resurrect a bit of a writing career and I'm running a daycare. It's nuts, dude. And my office is a nightmare. Um, I'm literally walking over things. I've got cables all over the place. I was like a Somali the other day getting a, getting a <laughs> LAN cable from, straight from the router into the Apple TV so we got decent internet on the TV because we don't have uh, the local DSTV and stuff. And, um, you know, I was like a real Somali out the window through a pipe um, down the outside of the house, back in through the back of the wall. It was awesome. <laughs> it's, been, it's, it's, been, it's been amazing. I paid uh, 200 bucks for a guy to come to my house to recrimp the, the land cable that wasn't working and I couldn't exactly take it out. So um, I ended up paying more than what I should have, but it, it's working and I'm, and I'm happy and, and my daughter's happy and that's really all that counts. Yeah. Yeah. How old is she again? She's six. She's six and uh, going on 24. She's done four degrees uh, and masters in, um, um, in home uh, killing parents yeah. and how to scream the loudest. And I don't want. Um, and I love it a bit. <laughs> I oh, couldn't no, change that for the world. My, my daughter's been managing the Middle Eastern peace process for some time oh. now. Oh, wonderful. And, uh, and that's why it's in the state of ten. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, listen, the oil price is down, which means uh, fuel is cheaper. So I think she's doing something right. Oh, well, she's, she's sounds <laughs> discord chaos. <laughs> All right. So I want to, let me just start here. I've, I think we've had our opening start. So folks, listen, thanks very much for signing in and listening again. Today is an epic one for me. I am. Um, I've always been, uh, since I've known Peter Allison, who is the guest today, um, I'll read a bit of his bio and one or two little things, but I'm, you know, this is going to be a different, a different part of a, of a podcast than what we normally have. Uh, so Peter, if you don't mind, I'm just going to kick off uh, from here. Is, is, uh, is that a good start for you? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Okay. So, so folks, um, Peter left Australia Um aiming to travel for a year and I think that went a little bit pear-shaped because he was wanting to study law and uh, went on a totally different side of it um, and for 26 years um, he's been in the safari industry um, causing trouble 
creating creating problems for bosses, I'm pretty sure, but has incredible stories. Uh, he's written two books, both with great headings, because once you listen to this chat, you're going to understand, you're going to want to read the book. So, so go and support the guy. He's busy working on a third book, like you've just heard. He's trying to resurrect a, a, a writing industry uh, that I think is now coming back, obviously, because of, um, of, the, of the virus issues. One of the books is called Whatever You Do, Don't Run. Um, and if I, let me just go back and have a look. A picture on that book uh, is, uh, where is it? I actually went on to Amazon. Um, there's a lion on it, which is pretty awesome. And the other book is, oh, there's a truck going past. As slow as it can, obviously. <laughs> All right, well, now we know first gear works. Um, and the second book is uh, Don't Look Behind You. Uh, and there's two options there. On a, on a, you can have either on Kindle or paperback. One has crocodile, and the other one has a uh, elephant that looks a lot bigger than you, Peter. So um, I hope I got all of that right. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, elephants are bigger than me. Well, you know, I've seen the size of your head. I'm not so sure. <laughs> um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is definitely a complete joke. Um, and, and since you've you've uh, you've um, Unfortunately, departed from the African shores, you are now daddy daycare in, uh, back in England. Yes. So it's, um, funnily enough, a country I never imagined living in or settling in. I, I was really the, the rare Australian that didn't come here straight after school or university to, to do bar work this side. As you pointed out, I, I actually ended up in Africa at 19, and that's bar work was what I did, but I did it in a game reserve in the Sabi Sands uh, in the epic year of 1994, which is, of course, a huge one for South Africa. Yes. Yes, that was a, a big turning point for us, and so many things obviously had changed. So you came at a very opportunistic time. And um, I, I, I recall, and, and if you can just come back and tell me, please, that because I don't want to get it wrong, um, the first story you told me um, was – how you met some chap and he said, I need to get this vehicle from here to somewhere in Botswana. And you ended up just something like the next day. Is that right? Taking it and disappearing? Yeah. So that was, I'd, I'd worked in the bush for a little while at that point and I'd started guiding and I thought, Oh, I know what I'm doing here. I remember a friend had actually said to me, he'd come to visit and he said, um, and this is a, a South African friend. Yes. That I knew from Australia. And he said, Oh, this is really nice, isn't it? But it's not particularly wild, is it? And I was a bit flabbergasted by that. I looked, I said, but you know, Rich, look, there's a warthog. That's pretty wild. I'd come from Sydney, and so to me, the Sabi Sands seemed wild. And you know, I'd be on my game drive, and I'd be saying, "Guys, I've got one of my daughter Ingwe, because you know, rangers, as they call them, there love to use a bit of local lingo." Yes, my daughter Ingwe. He's um, walking by the signpost for Exeter near the power lines at the junction of the dam road and everything you mentioned was man-made and you could yes. always see it's the hand of man um, and obviously once I got to Botswana I looked around and went oh I see Rich's point but the way that I got there was just looking for that and saying well he's provoked me now I better go and find out what this is and I wandered into the office of a uh, safari company, asked if they might have any jobs going. And uh, a guy uh, who remains a friend, Chris Krugus, who's got a very distinctive voice, said, sure, we got a job. Can you drive a car? 
<laughs> you want a job. It's like, if you'd asked if I could ride a camel, I would have said, sure, of course I can. Um, and I, I could sort of drive a car by then. He didn't tell me it was a game drive vehicle and that it was in Johannesburg and that I had to drive it to the Okavango Delta. And I'd never been to Johannesburg before. And I'd never been to the Okavango Delta before. And that was my job interview was getting uh, one of your favorite things, a four by four vehicle. Yes. On Joburg. And of course it had no mirrors. Um, I mean, a rear view mirror would have just shown me the, the back row of seats. Um, it had no roof. It didn't even have a canopy on it. Sorry, uh, Peter, what, uh, what time of year was this? Uh, it was summer. And the ah. reason I know that is not just the sunburn that I got, but it also absolutely bucketed with rain on me at one point, which <laughs> means in Botswana it was summer. Which is when, <laughs> and you know, it had the fold down windscreen, which I'd folded up. But <laughs> which was pointless anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it kept the hornbills horn out of my teeth. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, and once it started raining, I don't know why I decided to put the wipers on, and but they changed the angle of the windscreen, and so the things were flexing and straining until one just flung off, and somehow in the slipstream came straight up over and whacked me in the forehead. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just it was one of those those journeys where you can found laugh. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah it's like. Another bloody hornbill. <laughs> One was a wiper. Um, yeah, but you know the 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 I got into Malm, um, and then I thought, okay, job interview done. And somebody then told me, oh no no no, you're going to the most remote uh, remote camp in the Okavango Delta. You're not done yet. And I had another day's driving ahead of me. Um, and I was given a, a staff member that they swore knew the way with the ominous name of Dorcas. Oh, nice. The Dorcas did not know the way, but this was, I think, my real introduction to Botswana began then, where I had to drive through a series of, of villages with names like um, Betza, Etza 6, Etza 12, for some reason, and you'd know these places now. Yes. Uh, you've on that road, up to Shikawi. Correct. Uh, and I don't know if it's still the case, but you put your vehicle onto a barge that was hand pulled. Um, so it's not it's not hand pulled anymore. Now they've uh, I would say now for the last bunch of years they have two uh, two ponts on there, two barges that are are motor that are motored. But and I'm sorry to in, interrupt, but for some random reason they've decided to build a bridge, which which grinds me because there's no need for that. I mean, it just gives such an atmosphere when you climb on a barge and you're just sitting there for 20, 20 minutes, you know, going across. Anyway, sorry, I'm in, interrupting. So you made it across? Yeah, made it across. And then, of course, from there, it was all dirt roads, um, which was no great impediment because the tar road had not been that spectacular. It, was, it would have suited drunk driving with all of the swerving and weaving you had to do. Um, something I also discovered was a bit of a... A national pastime in Botswana was drunk driving, but um, it's a common event. Uh, in fact, you would have to be drunk to drive those roads properly. I think is what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. If 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 you're not leaning and lurching all over the wheel, and you you definitely you don't want to be going in a straight line. Anyway, so once I was on those sand roads, uh, 
I, and I thought I knew how to drive a four-wheel drive. And again, being summer, that sand is hot, so it's looser and it just, it, it sucks at your tires like it's a Kardashian. Um, and I'm really hoping that most of your listeners don't get that reference. Um, <laughs> it, it just... Excuse the pattern. Yeah, so you, you're, you're in trying to, to grind your way through it. And of course, Dorcas was looking around. I thought, she's looking at this place with as much wonder as I am. I don't believe she's been here before. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and she basically, eventually we, we passed some kid and and she, she I didn't speak any Setswana. Um, and I was <laughs> delighted to learn she did. <laughs> so she had some years. She That's obviously good... asked him which way was it to, to Duba was the camp we were going to. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, give me a lift. So in he jumped, we drove, and we ended up in some little village. And he said, and he jumped out, and I said, well, where's he going? She said, oh, no, he doesn't know the way, but his uncle knows the way. And so then his uncle comes and gets in and starts showing me the way along these dirt tracks. And we got to another village. He jumps out, walks out, and I said, well, where's he going? He says, no, he doesn't know the way, but his friend does. His friend gets in, <laughs> I'm a taxi. <laughs> and, uh, after you know, a full day of being the local taxi service uh, and I really just didn't know what my other option was one of them made a mistake and we actually found the camp oh. and that was it then I, I lived in the Okavango for years because I couldn't find my way out well that's a good start because if you look where Duba camp is it literally is uh, in the middle of nowhere and there are no direct roads and uh, it's it is it's an amazing place. I think now it's flooded, right? I mean, now with the, with the amount of rains that have come down this year, and no one's there to see it, which is which is quite sad. Um, it's uh, it's quite interesting. The people who operate it don't like this, but it's um, it's nickname in the industry is now scuba planes. Oh, that's true. You could just float down there. Well, if you didn't get hit by the you know between the crocs and the hippos, and yeah, you could. Yeah. You could um, I have I have driven that road. Yes, I drove it last year for a humanitarian trip, which I did with you guys, and uh, um, it was it was amazing. That road uh, I think removed uh, all my fillings at my at my teeth. Um, it completely disjointed my back. I may have lost a leg from the amount of uh, corrugation on the road. Um, it's it's a really gnarly road. So once you get over the pond. Um, all the way down uh, to Pasaronga, it is, in fact, the road after Saronga up to Gundigwe is uh, um, is better than the, that beginning road. And and they don't change tire pressures there. There's there's no sense of understanding about tire pressure. They just drive the same thing and rattle their teeth and, and tie everything down. So it's, it's an amazing part of the world. I love it. I completely love it. I mean, that's just it. You were describing the various injuries that did to you. And I was, I was about to say, and yet you loved it, didn't you? Because completely, completely. And I think this is what excites me about chatting to you is that there are just endless, uh, endless stories. I mean, I, I, I know that you've traveled quite a bit and I, I, I don't know. I'm going to ask you a few questions just to understand. I know that you have a young family, so I don't think you've traveled a lot with, um, uh, w w with your kids. Um, I know there's there's a very big one I want to ask you. So you're a you are definitely not a vegan. Um, <laughs> you 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 eat meat like most uh, real African men, um, but your wife doesn't. Now how do you, how is that challenging when you when you overlanding or you you out you know in a vehicle or going in through uh, what do you take to cook? What do you how do you move it around? I mean uh, I, I know that you don't overland, so this is not about overlanding per se. It's about 
the experiences that you've had and uh, in the African bush, which I, I think everyone should hear. Um, is, has, it been a, has it been a major challenge? Um, it's uh, where it's a, a challenge is not so much cooking. I mean, there's you know, the, to, the greatest fallback is, of course, pasta. Correct. Um, pasta in a, in a jar or tin of sauce is, uh, works anywhere. And the, yeah, the great thing with that is you make pasta, you throw in the sauce, and then I can throw in some chopped up sausage or something like that and your burrivorce whatever it is which you can cook on the side it's actually yes. really easy and, um it, it's less of a challenge than you imagine where it is a challenge is places like namibia and about a year and a half ago so the kids then were two and a half and six months old and we did 10 days around namibia um barely saw a sealed road and of course namibians are a unique breed maybe not so unique, much like um, Argentinians where chicken is considered a vegetable. That's a first for me. I haven't heard that one. Uh, if you've eaten chicken, yeah, that's a salad. Um, and, <laughs> and, 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 when, when, when Prue would announce that she was a vegetarian, you could just see them like, looking at me. It's like, does that make you gay? <laughs> 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 so why uh, did you marry your husband <laughs> and <laughs> i think no she just yeah, the, and of course basically the vegetarian option in namibia is they cook the same dish and then they just move the plate the the, the slab of steak onto their plate yes um and you know serve it with disdain and the the, the blood oozing into the potato that they just served <laughs> my wife prue um, <laughs> you know, there's you always get past it, and, and once you in lodges and so on, they cater pretty well to it. Um, it's less of a novelty for them um, dealing with the you know, international visitors they do. But on the road, it's yeah, you pasta, those sorts of sauces, rice, and then the next day is perhaps rice with pasta. Yeah, uh, not not a lot of variety, but not a lot of difficulty. No, no, it does sound a lot easier than I than I did think. I mean, obviously, I've been trying to. I won't say obviously, so, but I've been, I've been moving away from eating so much meat uh, to eating a little bit less meat and and more uh, more on on the net on the on the veggie side. And uh, I mean, I've I've created a few wonderful ways. And uh, the one thing is, obviously, I have a fridge and 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 all that stuff. But having having carrying veggies instead of meat when you open your fridge your mate's like dude are you okay what's what's going on you know we just passed a butchery what's what's the problem you know um and you and you and you try and explain i'm, I'm trying not to uh um you know go crazy on the meat side i want to i want to i want to experience something different and that's what africa is it's about experiences and I, I think um writing a book tell me a little bit about the book what was the what was well hang on a second so so you fought First and foremost, are a, a a very a, a eco tourist guide. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, again, if you're in South Africa, they tend to use the term like ranger, and that's yeah. actually should be reserved for people who work for the Parks Board and actually patrol the parks. It's a it's a diff, it, it, yeah, we're, we're jeep jockeys. Um, I was a safari guide, and basically, what we do is this. Poor scientists go out there, do years of research and write up their PhD, and then we distill it into a punchline. 
<laughs> you know, the, keep the yeah. tourists happy. Um, but it is the importance of that role or the way that I've always seen it is we're actually trying to get them to go from a good guide isn't just there saying, look at this amazing place I live in. A good guide is like a matchmaker and he's trying to get these tourists who might be from Southern Africa, they might be from anywhere in the world yes, and make them fall in love with the place because it's only once they've fallen in love with it that they'll want to protect it. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't go around trying to save ballet yes. because I give zero poops about it. Um, well, your your daughters might say something quite different to that. <laughs> uh, no, my, my, my daughter's a thug. <laughs> she's, she's three and a half now and um, she spends most of the day beating me up. Um, Less her. I'm, not even, I'm not even letting her win. Oh, <laughs> she's she's mastered the nut shot. Um, but anyway, back to the um, whatever the hell I was talking about. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh, jeez, uh, traveling. Oh, uh, rangers. Uh, the difference between rangers. So, yes, yeah, so the- in, in terms of the the role is is to get people enthused about the environment and then when you're talking about conservation, there's so much bad news out of there. And, and conservation's like medicine. Everybody knows it's good for them, but nobody wants to undergo a surgical procedure or whatever it might be. So to get people to take medicine, you've got to coat it in a lot of honey. You've got to, yeah. you've got to sweeten that pill. So I always found that as a guide, if I could entertain the people, you get them laughing and it's, it wasn't dumbing it down at all. There's a lot of science in what we talk about, but if they're enjoying themselves and they're actually having a true holiday vacation, whatever word you prefer, mm. then they kind of say, that's a place I want to go back to. And every time they come back, every time somebody spends money going on safari, that's telling a government that the land is worth, has value as it is. Land true. has value with wild animals living in it because our competitors are not other safari operators. Uh, that's, that's on the smallest level. The, the real competitors are agriculture and mining. You know, they want the same land that we're on. Yes. And, and so the more value we can give to that land, um, and the value is not just the revenue it generates, it's employing from rural communities. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that isn't spoken about. Employment's spoken about that you employ from rural communities who otherwise those people would be sucked into the city and looking for work there. And we all know that that leads to higher crime rates in the, in the cities. It leads to greater desperation and poverty and uh, disease even because they're in crowded unsanitary conditions. So these places in the bush that are actually employing from these rural communities are actually having a huge positive social impact as well. Yeah, um, very true. Yeah. I know. I mean, it's very true. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, the, the, uh, I do, it's, it's, you know, I'm not saying that safari uh, going on safari immediately qualifies you to enter the through the pearly gates or whatever it might be, but it's, you're an immediate philanthropist just by visiting any place. And it doesn't matter what budget you go in there. When you visit a, nat- a national park, um, you drive into Miremi National Park or you go into some of these Namibian national parks that get 10 visitors a year. Yeah. 
you're 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 now ten percent of the reason that that place stays a national park. Yeah, uh, uh, and that's that's a really important role. So the the people listening to this that love um, their their four by fouring, they are a huge a huge huge part. I mean, they so often pioneer these areas that later on the luxury lodges come into. Um, they, they play a huge part in conservation just by visiting these places, by showing interest in them. Um, so thank you to all of your listeners. It's a, you know, it's such a big deal. And, and you're right, there's always a big pull and a big drive between industries. And the tourism industry plays a massive role because people that come and have a good um, experience, with or without, you know, you, for example, um, they, they, they really, they go back and they tell their friends. And then, then there's, you know, there's another 10 possibilities of those people coming to travel towards um, that same country and have those same um, experiences. And it just goes such a long way. I'm, I'm busy doing a, a bit of a project with a company called Choose, Choose Africa. And uh, the launch is actually tonight, funny enough, at 5.30 uh, South African time. You can go on my channels and you'll see it. And, uh, and you guys are involved in it. I don't know if you know about it, um, uh, Peter. But it's, it's basically telling tourists, when you come on a tour safari, the money doesn't go towards um, only towards the lodges. It goes towards all these other initiatives. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It goes towards the support for anti-rhino poaching. The guys like myself that do humanitarian work, that, um, you know, the people in, in villages and in these rural areas that make little beads and do grass work. Um, it goes towards them. And that's what the lodges um, should be known for more. Going to view a lion is fantastic, but supporting the local community is more important. And, and I think that is something that you really draw people into, which is why this chat is so exciting to me, because those stories that you have are not forgotten. I mean, I'm, I can, I can, I've never spoken to anyone that's been on a tour with you, but I can pretty much sure if I phone them and say, do you remember this guy? Can you tell me a story? They'll waffle or five. You know, and yeah. I, think, I think that is more important is the memory that they tell everybody. Yeah, and it's, it's also getting them out. I mean, the... the there's been a strange shift in the safari industry and it's a regrettable one. Um, and it might actually change after this whole COVID thing is done um, where everybody started pursuing. And again, if we go back to 94, when I started, South Africa was emerging from being an international pariah. So foreign tourists hadn't visited in any great numbers. Yeah. Um, and South Africans had this great way of doing things, which was unique to themselves. They'd been in isolation for so long. Um, and people arrived and they'd, they'd be given a rusk in the morning and they'd go, what's this? And they'd be looked at blankly. So I knew, well, it's a rusk. What do you do with it? it <laughs> you know, is, that, is that how you pronounce rock here? Where do you put it? <laughs> yeah. And of course, there's these blank stares yet again. And it's what I call the Rodriguez effect, which is South Africans who who think that something that's common to them is common to everybody else in the world. Yeah. Uh, obviously it's, it's all, all but gone now. Yeah. Uh, but it was this thing of, of course, you know what a rusk is. Um, you know, I, I clearly don't cause I'm queering it. Um, <laughs> but, but so, so there was this wonderful moment and that great South African sense of humor. And I, I mean, I love some of the Afrikaans descriptions of things 
Um, and, and that was all unique and people were having great fun, but then everybody started chasing. They thought that luxury was bling. Yes. So they started competing on bling instead of the real reason. Nobody's flown halfway around the world for a chandelier. They've come because they don't have elephants or even warthogs wandering by in their backyard. That's the luxury. And the luxury is space. Uh, and um, that's what people are pursuing. And, and so, and then it also got really rote. You know, it's a game drive in the morning, game drive in the afternoon. But the, you spoke about people's memories, remembering stories. Their own stories are the most treasured things. And they don't get that if they sit in a four-wheel drive the whole time with somebody showing them things. They've got right. to get out, they've got to touch things smell and taste um and then you know once they've had their own moments you know, if you see a herd of elephants can get people out of the vehicle they there's they're within touching distance of it yeah but they're out of the vehicle and when you spoke about an elephant being bigger than me an elephant's bigger than you in a land rover when you're in a land rover when you're standing there an elephant is enormous they get they grow that much they grow really fast the moment you step onto the ground and then you look and you, think, you are huge and that's the response is to make people feel alive to, to you know, their nostrils flaring twice the size they've ever been before. Yeah. It's that, that moment you have the, that adrenaline dump. It's, it's roller coasters for grownups. Um, and it's also, yeah, again, that's the moment they get back and they say, that was extraordinary. That was amazing. I've got to tell my friends to come here. You've just won. You've just won. You've just saved an animal's life because more people are going to come and visit. As, as I say to it, we, I now work for a company called uh, Natural Selection that you've uh, referenced. We've uh, helped support some of your endeavors and we have a reservations team. And I always say to them, every time you don't close the booking, a baby Impala dies. Oh, <laughs> I hope you don't sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'll even sometimes go to them as, <laughs> they go, no, they didn't confirm that book. So, why do you hate baby impalas, Ashley? <laughs> that poor baby hippo. Like, what are you? Oh, you poor person. Uh, <laughs> that's gnarly. <laughs> oh, shame, man. That's, that's pretty hectic. But I. <laughs> oh, I hope you sleep well at night, Peter, really. <laughs> No, I've got two toddlers. No, oh, that's also true. Yeah, it's called payback, maybe. Yeah. You know, you start for going lovely. I think yeah, everybody else can join me in sleeplessness. You know, you know, I grew up in the in the in the Drakensberg in, in the mountains, and uh, um, my my wife family believes I was brought up in the bush by wolves, um, and and we were caught, not caught, my, where we were. My daughter and I, she loves this overlanding thing with me, and and. and uh, we were supposed to do another humanitarian trip below Tule Block, um, uh, and I, uh, we were supposed to leave the day of the lockdown, actually. And I pulled out. Uh, I, I postponed it. Didn't pull out. I, I, I postponed it um, until you know until things chill. I, I would imagine it's going to be September, August, September side um, time of the year. But she was she was co- just as gutted as I was, and uh, we were sitting outside um, on the on the stoop um, about two three months ago, and we were we were picking up uh, these little things and putting them in our mouths. And um, um, my wife comes out, she goes, what are you two doing? And my daughter picks one up. She goes, look, mommy, we're eating ants. Do you want one? And she puts it in her mouth. And, and my wife, she's like, oh, I can't, you know, you two really, I, I, oh. and she just storms inside and just, you know, and just, just <laughs> you know, those are the type of things that, 
it's 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 good to do. It's okay to eat ants. You know, they they're like mapani worms. It's just a lot less protein. And and I, I, to a restaurant in Colombia that serves nothing but ants. I was in Colombia at the end of August. I was actually north of Colombia. I wasn't in Bogota. I was in uh, Barranquilla. Uh, sorry, at the end of uh, January. So um, okay. if I had time, I would have tried to get there. That's for sure. Yeah, I'd have to look up which town it was in. I went to many. But uh, yeah, so yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they, they actually say that it's a thing called entomophagy, is the eating of insects. Yes. Uh, um, and that that is one of the, the ways forward for humanity to stop us stripping the world of so many resources. We, we know there's a locust plague up in East Africa right now. That's right. That is protein. That's protein right there. That's abundant protein. And if, you know, if we could convince certain rapacious nations to go in there with nets instead of trawling the oceans, um, that would save a lot of animals' lives and possibly ours. I mean, the, I think you're talking about conservation. It should be on everybody's mind right now. If you consider that all of these lockdowns we're going through, all of this massive spike in unemployment globally, is because somebody needed a bowl of bat soup or, or persecuted a pangolin. Yeah. we exactly sure. It does seem to be related to pangolins and bats. Um, and they, 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 they're trying to prove it. But, I mean, if you – and I'm sorry to in, interrupt. I was chatting with uh, my cousin yesterday. <clears throat> and what they're saying is that a virus from a bat mixed with a pig at the right time was transferred coronavirus – to a human in a fish market in Wuhan, China. Now that yeah. that sentence in itself is, I, 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 what do you say? I mean, and and angulans so, I mean, really. So you don't have to be, you don't have to love animals to have an interest in conservation. And that's actually there's a, a a talk that I give, which is conservation for people who hate animals. Um, and of course, it's never attended by people who hate who hate animals. But it's about the importance of uh, expressing to those that are just disinterested in wildlife or think that conservation is a folly. How important it is, no matter who you are. So I'm now in a an urban part of the UK. Uh, thank you, South African Home Affairs. Yeah. Um, and. Um, and looking around, and, and this couldn't be more removed from megafauna. Uh, I mean, the last bear in the UK was, I think they know the date was killed in the 1500s or something. Sure. Uh, the largest carnivore still here is the badger um, in, in the whole of the British Isles. So, you know, wolves are long gone. So there's no, not even living memory. There's not generational memory yeah. of, of life with animals. But everybody here should be deeply invested in the continued existence of elephants. And the reason I say it, I'm, I'm grabbing elephants, they're charismatic, but there was an amazing realization back in the 1960s by a biologist uh, with the unfortunate surname of Pito or Pedo, I don't know how you say it. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Richard Pito, um, that giant animals, whales, elephants, or whatever, their cells are no bigger than ours, but they're the number of cells in their body is therefore enormous. Mm. Yet, when they when a whale washes up on a beach, it's not riddled with tumors. In fact, you don't find them. And similarly, elephants, through 
zoo anecdote. They're like, elephants die of everything but cancer. How are they avoiding it? Yeah. And until 2017, no, so it's 2018, we didn't really have a clue. Uh, and it was actually, uh, as is often the case, a great discovery is made by somebody operating out of their field. And it was not a zoologist that figured out, but a, a Mormon pediatric oncologist out of Salt Lake City in Utah. Which read about this. With Mormons. Yeah, and he, he read about this and he went to a, a traveling circus. <laughs> uh, his name is Dr. Joshua Schiffman. And he said, do you mind if I draw blood from one of your elephants? And they, <laughs> I don't know if they even checked his credentials, but they <laughs> <let him>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he took it back to the lab and he researched it. And there's a protein called P53. And we have two varieties of it in our blood. And we know that when tumors form, as they do all day, every day in our, in our bodies, P53 attacks them and a number of them. And it's, it's quite successful. Yeah. So we got the two varieties. He looked at the elephant blood. And at this point, he's found more than 30 varieties and counting. And off the back of that, somebody out of Santa Fe in New Mexico looked at another aspect of their blood and found that they have a completely unrelated compound that tackles leukemia as it develops. So it's not that elephants don't get cancer. Yes. In fact, are getting cancer all day, every day. Every elephant right now is developing a tumor. But to evolve the great size they have, they had to have really efficient ways of fighting it because there's so many cells in their body. Yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing is off the back of that research, somebody looked at Dassies, Hyraxes, that we know shared an ancestor with elephants and they don't have these compounds. So the compounds came with size and we now understand, and people are looking more interestedly at, at whales, is how are they doing it? They must have extraordinary ways of tackling cancers because there's so many different varieties. And we now understand that to get great size, you need to have extraordinary ways of defeating cancer. And these things have all evolved separately. Hippos, rhinos, whales, great white sharks don't get cancer. And this it's it's extraordinary all of these animals out there that we seem intent on wiping out have got the cures that we are so desperate for there's, there's there won't be a single person listening to this that hasn't been affected by cancer sure that doesn't know somebody sure. um hopefully hasn't lost anybody directly or, or in 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 indirectly you're right yeah yeah and if you consider that that just over a hundred years ago more people in world war one died from infections than died from bullets so let's say modern medicine is a little over 100 years old. Penicillin. Life is uh, real yeah. medicine that was uh, bottled. Yeah. Um, so, so life on Earth has been experimenting for 3.2 billion years, give or take yeah. one or two. Yeah. Give or take a decade or so. Um, every species we lose has, there's, there's been experimentation and failure, experimentation and failure, experimentation and failure. And we're not looking at end results. We're looking at an ongoing experiment with every species we observe. But we are pegging our 100 years of work against their 3.2 billion years. Every species we lose is like burning down a laboratory that's been going for billions of years before you've received the results. That's what we're losing. So whether you care about animals, you should care about them carrying on and living in the wild as they do. It's completely true. And I, I, I'm... You know, it's. I've obviously experienced the elephants, 
Um, and there's a massive difference between experiencing elephants behind a cage and in the open. Um, and I believe that there's two types of elephants um, in the in the static region. Uh, I know the Botswana is having a, a massive challenge from, from elephants, and they're very clever. Um, and elephants play a massive role to me. I'm, I'm probably changing the logo on my uh, uh, for my work um, to an elephant logo because of the respect I have for elephants and, in fact, and for baobab trees. I mean, it's, they're, they're completely random, but they're yeah. huge, long, uh, uh, huge, big um parts of the of the of the african environment and uh, they've been around for 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 plenty plenty years and and they've lasted and they've 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 coped by the way um elephants don't eat meat so i'm just letting i'm just letting you know leave, leaving that with you that you know elephants are, are are also vegan you know i'm sure your wife may may enjoy that yeah yes oh yeah yeah no, she she's a big fan of the vegetarian animals <laughs> i'm sure Listen, Peter, I'm going to, I'm going to, we can carry on doing this for another three hours. I think we both have a day to start and I really want to, um, I really want to thank you for the time and effort that you've put into this. Um, we can carry on doing this for a, a lot longer and there are so many stories uh, between the two of us and I, I really respect the work that you've done. Um, I honor you as a writer and bringing life back to uh, um, an environment that is, is known for glamping. Um, in your industry, the people that come to yours and the likes of lodges are, are people that we need. And uh, I really respect the fact that you try and drive them to support you guys uh, and in turn support the people like myself on, and, and the humanitarian work that I do. No, no, well, uh, we, I'm a huge fan of the work you do. I, I should have expressed that earlier. Um, really inspired by what you do and, and the genuine passion you take it in. Um, and also, you spoke about the bone rattling things. When you set off on that trip, I just saw the obstacles and you just saw the opportunities, which is a fantastic attitude you take into the, the really important work you do. So I salute you, sir. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I'm, I'm trying to do more and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to work with, um, with you guys again. I, I'm sure there is another opportunity in another region to help some more kids. And um, I, I just, uh, I wish to see you back in Cape Town without our, our nonsense government playing games and... Uh, um, you know, thinking of themselves, and uh, I, I wish you and your and your and your girls and your wife um, good good health and happiness in the, in the UK. Thanks, Anton, and we will speak again. Soon. Absolutely, have a blessed day. Cheers.